Isn't it great that we can uh, sing songs like that? Good theology in them. Words that are alive. We don't have to sing 7-Eleven songs. You know what those are? Same seven words 11 times over. I met the... uh, I met the uh, I met the Gettys in um, America when we were there last time, and um, what a great couple that are writing songs like a such a humble couple, but so being used by the Lord. And um, it's really great that they're bringing us these words, which are really building the church. So I'd encourage you, if you're a songwriter at all, you're a believer, write some songs for us. One of those songs we sang there was written by Chris uh, from our church here. Um, great stuff coming out. So I'd really encourage you, encourage us with the words that the Lord puts on your heart and put them to song and let's give Him glory. So that's really encouraging this morning. Um, I want you to turn in your Bibles. Who have you got your Bibles here? Just hold them up please. I just want a quick stack. Oh good. You're a good church. <laughs> Didn't start like this, you know. I remember. Six years, what, eight years ago when I came, we didn't have that many Bibles in the church and then Peter got here and things changed. It was great. So thanks be to the Lord. Just, um, I want us to turn to Psalm 40, just to set the frame around what we're going to do this morning. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know what you're going through at the moment. I'm trying to find out where people are, but I can't get around to everyone all at the same time. But maybe your your life looks a bit like this today. Maybe you are going through extremely hard times. You're just hanging into life by the rims on your tires. You're over the edge. Your wheel's up in the air. And maybe that's what is happening in your life now. Maybe you're experiencing ongoing sickness. Financial hardship. Because we are going through difficult times financially. Maybe you're experiencing ridicule from people at work and even your family members because of your faith in Christ. And you ask yourself, and I'm sure you have, because I have, why does God allow this in my life? I'm His child, aren't I? Doesn't He love me? Why? These same types of questions must have been in the minds of these early believers as we look at the letter of 1 Peter again this morning. These early believers who were scattered all over the Roman Empire, who were suffering for their faith, who were confused about what was happening to them, 
and who were perplexed. Why does God allow this to happen to us? They were going through seriously tough times. Society had turned completely against them. The Romans were trying to stop them from proclaiming this newfound faith, from spreading this gospel. And how were they doing it? By getting rid of these people, by persecuting them, by killing them for their faith. And so the Romans were trying to stop the spread of this gospel. And this question must have come across them. Why is God allowing this? We love Him. And the Apostle Peter writes this letter of love to them, the letter of 1st and 2nd Peter. He writes to them as a pastor and as a shepherd, trying to shepherd his scattered people. And these words we've been looking at are words of encouragement to them, to say, stand strong in the Lord. It's not just about this life, it's about a life to come. Stand strong. Don't be perplexed. You can ask your questions But don't walk away from your faith. Stand strong in the Lord. And as we come to these verses this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, specifically verses 6 and 7 this morning, we're going to be seeing how his pastoral heart comes out to them. This heart of his which cared for his people, which loved his people. And then if you could just put your finger in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, it's the book before 1 Peter. James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4, we'll be reading that as well. It's a parallel passage to what we're doing this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 7. This is God's word, remember? God's infallible truth, His breathed out word to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Today's message and next Sunday's messages are all about rejoicing during times of difficulty. And I don't know if you need that message, but the Lord has brought us to it today, and you are here for a purpose. The Lord has brought you here Himself. So let's hear what God has to say. As Peter tries to encourage these persecuted believers that he's writing to, he reminds them firstly that they have been kept for glory. 
verses 3 to 5 that we've been looking at these last few Sundays reminds us of that. In this you greatly rejoice. In what? In what has happened to you. What God has done for you, says the Apostle Peter. This little word rejoice is a really interesting word. It means to have triumphant exuberance. Now usually when you think about rejoicing and trials, the two words don't kind of go together, do they? They're kind of juxtaposition, opposite sides of the spectrum. Rejoice, trials. But here the Apostle says the word rejoice means to have triumphant exuberance or to be supremely and abundantly happy. Abundantly means more than usual. It's over the top stuff. He reminds them that they are to rejoice, which is not a tentative happiness. It's not a being happy. Put a smile on your face. It is not a happiness based on circumstances and feelings of what is happening around us, but a deep or planted into our hearts joy. It is a continuous, a by habit joy. The Apostle says you are to be rejoicing. It's a continuous thing that should be happening in your life. Not because of what's happening around you, but because of what's inside you. It is to be a spiritual joy. It is from the Spirit joy. The Holy Spirit has planted it in you. It's based on the facts of what God has done. Not on what's happening around you, but on the facts of what God has done. And so the Apostle says... In this you rejoice. In what? In what God has done for you. The facts. What are they? We've looked at them. He's given you a living hope. Verses 3 to 5. You've been chosen by God way before time, before you even existed. You've been rebirthed by Him. He did it, not you. You've been made heirs of God. You've been given an inheritance which cannot fade, which God is protecting for you. And He's done all this through His own power. In this rejoice, says the Apostle Peter. Yes, the Romans are hunting you down. Yes, they're trying to kill you. But what has God done for you? He reminds them, as Paul does later in in Colossians 3, 2, that they are to focus on things above, not on the things on this earth. That's what the Apostle says. Rejoice in what God has done for you. Firstly, you are kept for glory. God is doing it. Secondly, he says in verses 6 and 7, and those are our verses today, he's saying God is preparing you for glory. He's preparing you and I for glory. We are not on this earth just because we are here. We are here for a purpose. God is preparing us to be with Him one day. We're in God's finishing school here on earth. You know, in the old days, I don't know, they don't do that much anymore, or I suppose they might, they used to have finishing schools for people. Young ladies would go off to a specific school and there they would get taught the art of decorum, the art of how to speak properly, how to hold your head up high with a book on it. Those of you have seen all those movies. Right? A finishing school. They needed to be rounded off. And men, they had to learn how to act towards ladies, how to dance properly, how to speak to ladies properly. It's all about ladies usually. Um, but that was all about God's... Fini- and, and this... As the Apostle Peter is saying here to us, you are also in God's finishing school here on earth. He is rounding you off so that you can be with Him in heaven one day. Interestingly, that the word trials, as used here in our text, is sometimes 
the word trials and temptations are sometimes used interchangeably, but here the specific word in verses 6 is the word for tribulations and persecutions, not for temptations. All right? Trials are part of everyday life. They are part of our lives. Someone said, if someone claims that they have never experienced trials, feel for their pulse. They're probably dead. This physical life that we are going through now is just an introduction to our spiritual lives to come with God. We are being prepared for, for life and service to come with our Lord. Trials, God uses trials on this earth as His tools to shape us. He uses His Word as His textbook in this finishing school that God is putting us through. So He he shapes us through trials and He uses His Word as His textbook. And there are lessons we need to learn before we can get to heaven. Who's perfect here? Put up your hand. Be honest. That was my daughter. There are lessons we need to learn. There are lessons every one of us need to learn before we can go and be with the Lord and serve Him in heaven. Some of those lessons are fantastic lessons to learn. They are enjoyable. But some of those lessons are hard lessons that we've got to learn. David Jeremiah said it like this. He said, don't confuse smooth sailing with safe landings. God has promised a safe landing to you one day, but He hasn't promised you smooth sailing on earth. He's got to teach us lessons. He's got to prepare us to be of service to Him in heaven one day. And Peter here in this text, verses 6 and 7, reminds his believers that real joy, deep inside of us joy, is not the absence of trouble in this life, but the presence of faith and hope in Christ during times of trouble. Do you get that? It's not an absence of trouble, but the presence of faith and hope in Christ during times of trouble. That is what true joy is. And then he goes on and he lists three features of these trials which God uses to prove or to strengthen our faith as believers. And there are three really interesting words he uses. He says... These trials are but for a little while. That's the first phrase. That if necessary is the second phrase. And then he speaks about you have been distressed by various trials. So we're going to look at those features of trials. Trials are firstly controlled by God, says our text. They are but for a little while, or as some Bibles say, for a season. They are transitory. Wiersbe, in his commentary, said this, and I thought it was so wise. He said, when God permits his children to go through the furnace or trials, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on that thermostat, that one that turns up the heat. God keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He's in complete control of what is happening to you. If we rebel or we're slow to learn during that time of trial... God may have to reset that clock and keep us in that furnace for a while longer until we learn and until we submit to Him. But He will never permit us to be in there longer 
than a millisecond for the time that He wants us to be there. He is in control. It's just for a little while that you may be under trial or under, persecu- uh, under trouble. And then he uses in the text, and a little bit later in verses 7, he uses this analogy of a goldsmith. And it kind of ties in with this furnace idea and being there for a little while. God keeps us in that furnace because he is burning all the sin of us. It's called dross. All those impurities are being burnt from us. And what the, the goldsmith used to do was, they used to heat this gold up until this dross was burnt off. And then they'd keep reheating the gold until more dross was burnt off. And they used to look down into this cauldron that was being heated up until they could see their own face reflected very clearly in that gold. Then it was ready to be used. God keeps us in the furnace until He can see His own face in us. We are being made to be like Christ, says the Bible. And we take our encouragement not from looking around us in the fire and seeing what's happening around us, but thinking about what God is doing in and through us. He's making us into an end product. Someone who will be made perfect and pure before Him. God is in control. It's just for a time, says our text. Secondly, we see here that trials come in various forms. We are going to go through, says our text, various trials. The word here used in the original um, documents is many-coloured or variegated. Those of you who are gardeners will know what that means. You get a leaf with many colours on it. It's variegated. It's many-coloured. Well, our, our trials are described like that too. We are going to go through variegated trials. Trials of different types and kinds. Why? If you want to test whether an, a new aircraft is going to be fit to use with consumers in it, with people in it, or whether, if you want to see if a new car is going to be suitable for use on the roads and whether it's going to be safe, it's put through many various kinds of tests. You'll all have seen those DVDs or videos of those crash test dummies, those poor things that they put inside the car and then they put through all kinds of scenarios. All right? Why are they doing that? It is not so that the manufacturer will feel better. It is so that customers will feel better because in the end, customers have to buy that car. So it's to make customers feel confident in their product. And what they do is they put that aircraft or that car through various tests. They will come at it at all angles. They'll put many different objects into it. They'll fly birds into the windscreens, trains into the sides of it, all kinds of things, so that they know what it's like under stress. And the Bible says that we are going to go through various trials too. The same word is used. It's used in two other places in Scripture. The first one is James chapter 1. We didn't read that, did we? Let's go there now, please. James chapter 1. Verses 2 to 4. Listen to what James says. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter, there's that word again, various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we go through various 
trials. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, just flick across a few pages, we, use this word, we see this word used again, but note how it's used here. It's the same word used, but look what it's describing. And this is where we can take encouragement during our trials. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of, here it comes, the manifold grace of God. What's described here? And those are the only terms, those are the only times in Scripture where that word manifold or various is used. What is being described here is the grace of God. Now that's really interesting. So God's grace also varies to us. And what Peter is saying here by using that word is he's saying that, yes, those trials that you're going to go through are various trials. They come in various shapes and forms. But guess what? God has given you His grace. And His grace is sufficient to meet all your needs. It is fitted for every trial that you go through. God will give you the grace you need in that trial. It is also various grace. It is fitted to what you are going through. So you will never go through a time of trial where you cannot endure it. There's great encouragement for there, there in that text for us as we look at what God has done for us. He has granted us His manifold grace through our manifold trials. Thirdly, we see in our text here that he says our trials serve a purpose. He uses the phrase here, you need to go through trials if need be. If need be, verse 6. We see here that trials serve a purpose. And I've got five purposes that we see here in the text. Firstly, trials shape us. Trials shape us. You need to go through trials if need be. So God looks at us and he, he, he says to himself, I need to shape this individual because they still need to be tweaked here and there so that they will be made perfect to be like my son. They shape us. God deliberately puts us through trials because He wants to change us. Secondly, they humble us. Our text says, you have been distressed. And here's encouragement in that. They humble us, but it is out of our control. We are the passive ones in this whole process. God is doing this work in us. It's not us. He is doing the work in us. He is putting us through the trials. It's not something I've stepped into. God has put me in there. Do you get the difference? God is putting me through it. How did Paul say it? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. This is what Paul said. A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan. You see how much he hated that? A messenger of Satan to harass me. Here it is. Here's the reason he got that thorn in the flesh. To keep me from being too elated. Why? Because he had seen visions of Christ. God had shown him visions of himself. And so you can imagine, Paul comes from this time of seeing visions of Christ and now he's on earth. Now he has to be brought back to earthly use again. So God humbles him. He puts him through this time of trial. He gives him the thorn in the flesh. Look what Paul did. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is sufficient for us. When He humbles us, it is Him doing it. 
because He wants to demonstrate His power, not just in us and to us, but through us. Trials are there to keep us humble before the Lord. So you're going through times of trial? Investigate your life. Maybe you have been getting a bit too proud. Pride is in every single one of us. We need to look at our lives. Thirdly, we see that trials discipline us. Our text says, you have been distressed. Trials sometimes are used to discipline us as a result of disobedience. How do I know that? Because David says that earlier in Psalm 119 verse 67. This is what David said. He understood about trials. Before I was afflicted, there's the same word for trials. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. He's learned his lesson. I went astray, God brought his affliction on me, and now I keep your word. Do you see what God does? He uses times of trials to pull us back in line. To pull us in according to what he wants us to do. Another purpose of trials is to strengthen us. Where do we see that? Back in our text. So that you may be found. So that you may be found to be in a specific condition. They are used to strengthen us. In that passage we just read in James chapter 2 to 4, he said, Count it all joy, and he goes through these various trials, and let the steadfastness have its full effect, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials, when we go through them, are there to make us stronger in the Lord. They are used to strengthen us. And then trials are also there to wean us away from a worldly perspective. How do we know that? So that our text says, so that you, your life will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a perspective that's supposed to be on our lives. We are not supposed to look at the world around us. We're supposed to have a heavenly perspective on what is happening to us. It weans us away from looking at the world around us. So those are some of the purposes of trials. Trials are temporary. God is in control. He's putting us through them. They are various. They are variable because God is putting us through various conditions to teach us and they are there for a purpose. Thirdly, we see that we are to rejoice because we have been validated for glory. I love that word. We have been confirmed and tested and we've come out true. Verse 7a says, so that the proof or tested genuineness of your faith even though tested by fire. Those are the original words used there. God says, God exposes us to the tested genuineness or proof or residue of our faith. As we saw with that goldsmith, trials are there to burn away all that useless dross, all those impurities that are in you and I. And they are there to leave behind pure gold in us. In other words, the core of our faith is exposed when we undergo trials. Why? Why is the very heart of us revealed during time of trials? Why does God do it? Does He test us just to show Him what is in us? No, because God knows exactly who we are. He knows our hearts. He knows the state of our faith before Him. Is that why God puts us through trials? No. God shows us the core of our faith. He shows us that gold in us, to give us 
confidence in what He has done in us. He shows us His stamp on our hearts. Look, this is what I am doing in you. This is what I have done in your spiritual life. And even now in a time of trial, this is what I am making you. God shows us that to encourage us in Him. And once we've seen that our faith is standing up, that becomes a great treasure to us. It's a bit like building a yacht. Once you've built a yacht and you take it over the sandbar, you start testing it out in the windy waters of Whanganui. You can only be confident in that yacht if you've really put it through its paces and it's weathered a storm. Then you'll know whether you can, whether you can really trust it. It's when you've been through a storm. Well, very much in the same way, God puts us through these storms in life to show us, to encourage us that yes, our faith is genuine and that it will stand up. Why? Because He is there with us. It will stand up. God encourages us. He gives us assurance. And He gives us, as a result of that, true joy inside of us. Do you see why it doesn't matter what happens to us, around us? We can still have true joy in Him. We can still have this joy which passes all understanding, the peace which passes understanding. That is why we can also rejoice in Him, because it's not based on what's happening around us. It's based on what is happening inside of us. God is showing us that. It's a sad state today that too many, and I call them professing Christians, have a false faith that's revealed during times of trial. Life's fire reveals superficial profession of faith because when those trials come on us, they burn away at empty words which come out of us. They burn away at all those rituals we go through and the true person is identified there. Those who are not dependent on Christ are shown up for who they are. Trials say to you and I, will the real you step forward? And we are exposed. That parable that the Lord Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 13 verses 1 to 9 where he speaks about that word which is cast into its sown into various types of soil. Some of the soil is thinner, some of it's thicker, some of it grows, others of it burns away. Well, when those trials of life come on us, that sun burns on us, when those tribulations and the testing of life comes on us, does our faith wilt away? That'll show you whether you've got true faith or not. God is showing you what is inside of you. How deep are your roots of faith? when the trials and hardships come up against you? How strong are you standing in the Lord now? Job understood. Listen to what Job said in Job 23 verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Aren't those encouraging words for us? God is putting us through these times of trials. He is validating us for glory. He's doing it and He's showing us what He's done. And then lastly this morning, we see that we can rejoice because Christ, in the end, will get all the glory. He's going to get all the glory, says verse 7b. When you are tested and the tested genuine of your faith is found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Yes, one day when the Lord Jesus comes again and we go up to be with Him, as believers, we will hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. Yes, we'll hear those words. And that'll be a great day because our faith has stood up to the test. But ultimately, we'll have an even greater joy. What is that going to be? When Christ is revealed in all His glory, our faith that has persevered will testify to what? To Christ's faithfulness. It will testify to what He has done in us. And our lives will give Him praise, honor, and glory. That will be the greatest joy of all. When that joy, when that, our faith is shown, shows what Christ has done in us. He will be glorified. I hope you've taken some encouragement from this morning's passage here. There are four reasons why we can rejoice in the Lord, even though we're going through hard times. We are kept for glory. That's why we can rejoice. We have a living hope. We are being prepared for glory. God knows we are going through those times of trial. He's preparing us. We can rejoice. God knows about it. Stuart Townend wrote it like this. Beautiful hymn. We're going to sing it later this morning. There is a hope that lifts my weary head. A consolation strong against despair. That when the world has plunged me in its deepest pit, I find the Saviour there. Through present sufferings, futures, fears, He whispers courage in my ear. For I am safe in everlasting arms and they will lead me home. God's arms will lead us home. I pray that you are in the Lord today and that you can rejoice in Him and it doesn't matter what comes against you, you know that you have a living hope in Him. We see that God has validated us for glory by showing us that our faith is real in Him. We can rejoice in Him. He's purifying us. He's getting rid of that dross of daily sin in us. And He's making our faith stronger every single day. James says, trials are not meant to take the strength out of us, but to put strength into us. Do you get the difference? Trials are not there to weaken us. Trials are there to make us stronger in the Lord. And when we see them like that, we can rejoice in Him. Trials turn sound doctrine into sound practice. You know, a lot of us know God's Word. But how many of us are really obeying it? And when, when we go through these hard times in life, how many of us really trust God's Word? Trials put, make sound doctrine founding God's Word into sound practice in our lives because we are tested in the fire. Why can we rejoice even during trials? It's all about God. God has been faithful. He has kept us. He is being faithful now. He's preparing us. And He will remain faithful until He comes again. God has promised us that God does not change. It will happen. And here's our final consolation. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. Listen to these words. Take strength from these words this morning. And after you have suffered a little while, think of it in eternity, alright? Our lives are this short in eternity. After you have suffered a little while, 
the God of all grace, that variegated grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, He has called us, He will Himself restore us. Not His angels, He Himself will restore you and I. He will confirm us in our faith, He will strengthen us in our faith, and He will establish you. That is God's promise to you. That is God's promise to me this morning. That is faith in action. Joy during hard times. Be joyful in the Lord. Rejoice in Him. I'm going to show you a real short video clip of what this looks like in practice. This DVD we're going to show you is about a guy named Zach. And what he experienced... And you might want to know that after this video was taken, Zach died on the 16th of May 2010, last month. He went to be with the Lord, but he remained faithful and joyful in the Lord right till the end. This is Zach's story. Listen to this and take courage from him. Hi, my name is Zach Smith, and I am 33 years old. I have been married to my beautiful wife, Mandy, for 11 years. We have three children, Lizzie, Jake, and Luke. And this is my story. I met Jesus when I was five years old. I grew up as a son of missionary parents in Ecuador, where I lived for 15 years. I went to college in Arizona, where I met my wife. For the next 10 years, we traveled around while I worked in the information technology field. We served in our local church, and I attended seminary. I often thought about working in full-time ministry, but no opportunities seemed right. I was told about a job here at New Spring Church helping with information technology. It was perfect, an IT job at an amazing church. I took the job and started working in October of 2008. For several months, life was very good and we were very happy. In May of 2009, at age 32, I was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. Immediately, I had surgery to remove a foot and a half of my large intestine and a lemon-sized tumor. I was told the cancer had spread to my spleen and to my liver. Chemotherapy was on the horizon. This was all a very sudden shock to me. I had always been very healthy. I found myself very confused. Why did I have cancer? Had I done something wrong to cause it? Was this a result of many years of sinful living in my past? I was working at a church and serving God. Where did I go wrong? But thankfully the confusion quickly turned to hope. I knew that God had a plan for my life. I did not understand why I had cancer, but I knew that God was in charge. For three months I underwent a horrible chemo regimen. Afterwards I had a scan done and the results were great. There was no cancer found in my body. We celebrated God's healing and God's faithfulness. And the next few weeks of my life were some of the best as I celebrated being cancer-free. But another scan one month later showed that the cancer had reappeared, this time in my abdominal cavity. I was devastated. Why was it back? Everything was just starting to make sense, but the reoccurrence of cancer caused even greater confusion. I resumed chemotherapy and did more tests. The cancer is now growing and getting worse. Unfortunately, the chemo drugs are no longer effective in my abdomen and surgery is not an option due to the degraded state of my liver. Medically speaking, there is nothing more for me. 
and medically speaking, I probably will not live to 2011. The Bible says in Matthew 7:11 that God gives good things to those who ask. God cannot give me a bad gift. And it is through that lens that I can say that cancer is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I am a better husband and a better dad, a better boss and a better employee, a better friend and a better follower of Jesus. And through cancer, God has shown me some amazing things about himself. Those are indeed great gifts. I still have questions about cancer, why it went away and why it came back. I do not understand, but I know that God is in charge. I am praying for God to heal me. That is my desire. I want to walk my daughter Lizzie down the aisle. I want to watch my sons, Jake and Luke, become men. I want to grow old with Mandy. And I want to live my life with my friends here at work. But I may not be able to work for very much longer. And I may have just celebrated my last Christmas with my family. I do know. If God chooses to heal me, then God is God and God is good. If God chooses not to heal me and allows me to die, God is still God and God is still good. To God be the glory.